Hey everybody and welcome back to The Producers. Uh, this week's episode is Nanda Golden um, and I'm your host Jonathan Mistoe. Uh I recently got some feedback to introduce myself and the guests more, so I'm hoping to make that a thing that I do more often. Uh, also, some feedback to plug this awesome project that I've talked to you guys a little bit about, the uh, RVA Podcast Network. Uh, things are going very well. We have a bunch of new shows joining and a bunch of old shows uh, joining, so I'm very excited. Uh, I'm going to kind of release all the pertinent information as I figure it out. Uh, so check out at RVA Podcast on Instagram, and the uh, website is rvapodcast.org. There uh, are some 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 things up there that shouldn't necessarily be up there yet but if you want some to see it now you can go check it out uh, other plugs so check out some cool projects by friends of the shows uh, rbacomedy.com yeah, cool project uh the coalition theater is great to see shows wednesday through saturday um trash bang on youtube uh, i believe there's a link in the description uh, i think i've had m- most if not all of them on in some fashion um and then check out orbitalmusicpark.com. They're a really cool music thing in Richmond. I love what they're doing. Uh, DJ Skinnoy uh, just put out some awesome new summer mix style uh, jams. Go check that out. Uh, I think for plugs. Um, great. Well, we'll jump right into this show. Uh, Nod is a good friend, and he told me he, uh, he was moving. I think we talked about it a little bit, but... Uh, I was like, I have to get him on super fast. Uh, so let's get right into it. That's remarkable to me that we all three have the exact same. Um, yeah, and there's got to be more of us. <laughs> Just haven't seen it yet. I got mine in Richmond. I got at a yard Amazon. sale. Yard sale. Yeah. I feel like you get. A, I feel like you're the kind of person who gets cool. The stuff you have has a cool story. Like you keep something because it's cool, or like it has a meaning that I would find like entertaining in a way. Very thoughtful. Yeah, I think I want to have a story behind the things I have. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I always do, or that's not necessarily the way I think about it. But yeah, I, yeah. Well, it's like I don't want to have anything superfluous. I like like everything hanging up. Ha- I feel like has some sort of story. If not, it is aesthetically delivering. I mean, it's okay to have nice things that don't necessarily mean anything, but I think I am I'm similar in a way where I put a lot of effort into what I have. I have trouble throwing things out for that same reason. Because you're losing the memory. Because I'll forget about it. There was a time when I was trying to get stuff. I would take pictures. I have no idea where those pictures are. You know, I literally, when I was in the brand center, came up with an app that was about 
taking pictures and stuff so you could get rid of it and saving the pictures so you always had the pictures so you always have the memory stored if I ever want to go down memory lane I just open that app or even I feel like even it has to have some sort of dev browser client like where you can like that could be like a hub for it so that would go straight from drive right there what a good idea you had because that, that's something that I could really benefit from. This is this is toned down, but I have like double the amount of stuff at yeah. my parents' house. I like it though. It's interesting. I'm trying to give. Uh, the, I feel like there's like a lot of yeah texture to it. It's lived in. It's like there's a lot of you know what I mean. There's play. There's yeah. There's play. It's not like it's all like. I think that describes me really well. There's there's play, but it's not all play. It's mostly there's a lot there's like play everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's there's a little play. <clears throat> You're gonna test out my idea of respecting the silence for sure. I said, never be afraid of silence. Let it happen. But you're so... I, again, maybe this is just my view of you, but you just, you're just you so thoughtful that you like literally take time to appreciate something quietly. Do you notice that? Yeah. I'm a fan of um, this guy who wrote several Lynn Baines Johnson's biographies Mm -hmm. Robert Caro and he used to interview people to try and get them to say what was true not just what they'd been told to say or what was in their best interest to say but to actually reveal a real story that really happened and I think it was he who said that the interviewer's best tool is silence. Because when you give someone silence, they speak more and they tell it more. Mm-hmm. They express more, they share more, they go into it more, they explain more. And we do that, and everybody does that. Because we feel anxious, and so we're like, ugh. Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've definitely noticed that. I've noticed that in uh, just interacting with more more people, the more variety, different kinds of people, and I'm naturally a talker. I fill the silence. I, I like to think more in a way of just like I want to find something meaningful, and I'd rather be looking than thinking. Because I feel like when you're thinking, it's always. Uh, it's less more often than not I feel like when you're in a conversation you're thinking of something you're and you're feeling a little anxious about it you're more thinking about oh this is going bad oh I don't know what to talk about instead of just like you said saying what's true talking about something I had this weird thought today you know etc It's almost like a volley. I had to pass it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel like when I was a kid, I was just in very much in my own world. And I would just have my own thoughts and my own stories and my own fantasies. And I just assumed for a long time that all those thoughts and fantasies and ideas were shared by everybody, you know? Everyone's in their world. Well, no, that, like, if you express or try to talk about whatever thought, fantasy, idea that you thought was powerful, then everyone would instantly understand (laughs) what you were talking about as you tried to express it, you Uh know? And then you kind of realize that maybe you don't know how to talk about it or you don't even know how to grasp it with language. You don't know how to articulate something about it. You don't know how to dissect it or see it in that way. I think that that is one of the reasons I find myself talking more is because I want to explain that idea and I, I know I can't and it takes me running through the words three or four times while talking about the idea to then hone in on like, an explanation this is obviously like a, a one example of a way a conversation would go but like I'm thinking specifically trying to express a feeling of thought What do you think about that? What what was it for you, following that idea, that changed that thought and how have you like adapted since? Say that again. What was it that changed that? Which thought? The idea of I thought everyone would just get it. I would say what I say. I think what changed that thought is the brutal realization that your your professions are completely met with confusion and unheard. You're saying something you think is true or powerful or going to be compelling. <laughs> and then people are like, wait, what are you talking about? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like when you try and tell a story as a kid, everyone's like, wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> or tell a joke and it falls flat. Yeah, you try. Exactly. That's the perfect example, I think. This joke is so hilarious. You think it's so funny, and then it's not even a... It's it's not that it's not funny. It is funny, but it's not, like, something that someone else can grasp or understand, or it's not even a joke, per se. Maybe it's just something you noticed, or... Yeah, an observation. Or to them, it's not funny because of all their experiences. Yeah. It doesn't connect it doesn't like it rings no bells it it's just like what mm-hmm. I think some of that comes from very particular stories I think when people have impressions that are really surprise me like they have ways of thinking about experiences like going to camp or just some aspect of their life and they have real strong opinion about it I feel like there's always, like, a story, a particular thing that happened, or it's like... Mm-hmm. I can't think of an example right now, but I imagine it, like... Um, to use your camping example, I hate camping. Oh, why? Well, when I was 13, story. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, or maybe it's like... <laughs> Cracking yourself up over here. <laughs> well, maybe... Or maybe it's a story about someone who taught you something, like... You know, your mom always told you, your mom told you, like, this, do this, do this, do this, and so that's what you do. You know, why do you do it that way? It's like, I don't know, but she was very serious. She always said, yeah. Yeah. That's just always what I heard growing up. She explained it to me. It made sense. I, like, agreed to it. I was on board with it. I don't remember why anymore exactly, but Mm -hmm. I'm still convinced by it. Um, Trying to think if I have one of those. Uh, my mom always said, never show up to a party empty-handed. Okay. I don't subscribe to it now, because I go to more things, and that would be... <laughs> but the idea, the idea behind it was good, and I don't know if that fits, but that's just the first thing I can think of that my mom always said. Does it, do you ascribe to that now? No. I think if it was more of a... Um, If it was less casual, that would cross my mind, and I would evaluate. But like, if it's like, oh, it's a friend's birthday party, just come out. Like, we're all having a good time or whatever. I'm just gonna show up and have a good time, unless it's like somebody I do have a gift for or something. But oftentimes, I find out about that they have less or much more casual, less likely to follow that. But that's just how I've over time. But I remember the first time I went to a party, she, and, like, that crossed my mind. I was like, I have to do this. And then I showed up, and, and I literally, I think I, I, was, I think I, this is a very, very thing. I was like, uh, my mom told me to bring this. <laughs> there you go. And I just walked away. It's like my first time I ever going to a thing. So it didn't work the first time. I took the bottle back with me when I left. No yeah. one had touched it. You learned your lesson. Your mom says, do this, you try it. It didn't work. Nobody mm-hmm. wanted it. It was awkward. It was and basically you realized, not good, Mom. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know how much that ties into what we were talking about, but there you go. There's that. That's funny. There's the opposite of that, of what we were talking about. Yeah, but it's still a story that shapes your impression. Oh, yeah. Well, it just, yeah, it just, it just so happened to go the other way where now I don't bring things I'm probably more opposed to bringing things to a place yeah you had one you had one opinion you went through the experience the story and you realized it was not what was advertised Mm -mm. (laughs) I also will give her the credit and the idea of credit well actually okay so um, I give the credit I think I did it the right way so the only other person who I think has expressed that idea is Dan because when he did the, my podcast for the first time, he was the first one to bring uh, alcohol. And he, he, I think he said some variation on that phrase. That's sweet. Yeah. And also really good for me because he, he spurred a movement where at least 80% of my guests will bring something <laughs> to split. <laughs> So I always have beer in the fridge and I'm like, just in case they don't, I feel like I feel like it's a thing I that is required now. They want to hear the pop of a can. That's funny. Yeah, this is episode number. This will be eighty one, which is a very important number for me. 
It's one of my favorite numbers. Really? Yeah. Isn't it like three times three times three times three? Yep. Three times three times three times three. To the power of four. You've achieved the fourth power. With episode 81. Uh, the third power. The fourth power of three. Because I already had the fourth power of two. But that was early. That's I haven't true. I haven't reached I haven't reached a higher power until just now. You already reached the fourth power, you're right. <laughs> I mean if you want to cut the first one, then I knocked them all out of the park. Yeah, that's right. You knocked it. the first episode is the real humdinger when it comes to the powers. <laughs> Those are a little weird. I mean, I love the episode, I love my friend, but like it does not fit what the show is now. Eighty really? episodes later, it's a completely different show. Tell me about it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so I... The first episode was my friend Tom. Uh, this is pre-theater. This is before my, my one-on-one class. Like a month before, I believe. And uh, the episode took place on my old Cleveland Street uh, apartment on the patio. So we had cars, we had people walking by talking, we had like uh, birds and stuff. It was fine. Um, we mostly, we did talk about creativity because I was very focused on being the first episode. It was like this is my topic. Let's talk, let's talk to uh, it's called the producers. Like let's talk to people who have actually produced things have created um, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about the process let's talk about the work so this is somebody. This is one of my like best friends. So we had we have we have collaborated on so many different projects, um, and it's funny because our best collaboration happened like after that episode, not like right after, but like the, the year or two after, um, like the height of our peak. Um, and so it was a like a lot of a lot more nitty gritty. We're talking about like video editing and. Um, the process of, that we went through making videos, we talked about. We and then the like, second half, we got real inside and just talked about friends. Which actually, if I'm being honest, is still kind of a thing we do on the show quite a bit. It's way inside. So maybe maybe the show's kind of the same. Um, but to, but it's cool because when I interview Tom and I interview certain people, they bring something new to talk about. Because I talk a lot about improv, which is fine, which translates, I think, very well to just any creative endeavor. Music's a popular one. I have thoughts on that. Um, but then, like, you know, video editing, like, I don't talk about that ever. Um, the idea of producing, like, video content. Like, we, we were trying to, we were experimenting with, like, being a YouTube page, like, making video game videos. Very fun. We are we are still very very proud of those videos. We worked very hard. We worked for one month and releasing one video every day. Wow! And it just it, it burned us out in the end. But um, we had a great time. We did, and they were good. They were good videos. So I think it's way different. One because I'm in a different place with much different goals, and I'm a much different person. But I think then it was this idea. I had this idea. And I've since surrendered it and let this be what it is. I've allowed the show to grow in the way it wants to grow. I've uh, pruned it when necessary. I've 
just had a different experience. Want more water? Yes. Thank you, Mr. All right, well, so I do have a topic. Oh. So my, is bringing, bringing a topic is one way this can go, right? Absolutely. You can... Um, the show's usually longer than an hour, but I always say it's your hour. What do you want to do with it? So? When you, when you were talking about... I don't know. Somehow I got the idea that... That guests sometimes will bring a topic or... An, that has to do with creativity. So one thing I'm interested in trying to understand is the relationship between order and sort of chaos in creativity. Because it seems like you have to have some structure of some kind and some principles and something that's being built, but you also have to be very open. Or you want to be very open Mm -hmm. to... You want to... You want to let something grow in its natural way and develop in the way that it is most able to develop and prune when necessary. It has some organic natural tendency to it there's something about creativity that it can be very natural and easy Um, but I don't know I feel like I get knowing where to hold on to something and where to let go and that decision throughout the creative process when you're deciding How you approach something and what you're gonna what you're gonna do? I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. You know. And where do, when do you say okay? No, I don't need to do this. I need to do this. And when do you say no? I need to do this. Even if I don't want to, I gotta follow my method, my process, my approach. You know. It's so funny that <clears throat> I told that stupid uh, wine story when I brought that bottle of wine to my friend's house that I'd never show up empty handed because I've had similar thoughts about creativity Um, I had a thought today where two two dudes were in the building I work in fixing a door a door frame and I caught a little bit of their conversation and they sounded very confused very unsure if their idea was going to work and I just like Hmm. Had I not heard that, I would have thought these two know exactly what they're doing. This is routine. Then I realized that all they were were two two people who found this craft and started to collect experiences, started to gain experience, started to do it and put more time in. Pause that story. Another thought I had was I bike a lot. I wonder if I've hit the 10,000 hours for biking. Because I can bike with no hands, and oftentimes I, I, I just feel this control where I can, I can avoid this and get right back over. I can turn without hands. Like, I'm even with hands, I'm like 10 times better. How close am I to the 10,000 hours? I think 
those three stories illustrate my thoughts on that point. I'm just like, I think when you first subscribe to a, a craft, to use that word again, a trade, a, a thing you do, a creative outlet, I think you start with <clears throat> what you know, what you've been exposed to, what you feel, what you what you yearn to do. I mean, I, I've said this before, like, the first guitar pedals I bought were ones that players I, music I wanted to play, that they have. Because that's what I wanted to sound like. That's what I know. Or ones that, you know, I have another influence on. And as I watch more videos, as I, as I try more things out, as I look at other people's boards, and I'm at a concert just, like, focused on trying to see that shit, that's me, like, gaining this knowledge. And the more time I put in, the more I'm exposed to it. I'm like, oh, I fucking hate that. I love that. Same with improv. You make a move once, it goes bad. <laughs> Fuck if I'm doing that again. Or, oh, that felt really good. I'm absolutely going to remember to do that again next time. Uh, next time I have an opportunity to climb the, the stairs, I'm going to remember. I'm going to go. I'm going to go fucking do it and shout it. And everyone's going to look and they're going to be like, oh, I didn't even know you would do that. You know, like, fun moves. I feel like that is what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about a very similar thing of how to bend and how to fold. And I think it just comes with doing it. You learn. You do the same routine every day, Groundhog Day. You learn the routine. You know what the pothole to avoid. You know where this person's going to be. You know what, Now you know what to say to that person. Okay, okay. But here's here's my here's my thinking on I was on wondering this. if you were ever going to cut me off. This is for, I just want to say that up I was wondering if it would happen. It did happen. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think cutting people off is a good habit, but I think... It's a podcast. This is, this is a safe space. It's fine, it's fine. But here's my response, or my thinking. And especially in relationship to improv. Oh, yes. So there's an aspect to performance, to thinking, to living that is ecstatic. You lose a sense of yourself. You are emerged in your engagement with something. So in my ideal imaginary improv scene, I am lost in the conviction of this world and discovering things about it and the character or some truth or something that I'm developing and growing as each contribution I make makes it grow even further something like this each endowment you get each endowment that your character each new uh, object work that flushes out the world you're in yeah so but if I'm devoting all of my mental energy to that then I think I kind of lose myself and forget about some of the tools tools that are being used the tactics you know it's like immersion it's hard to form memories when you're immersed and and it seems like performance there's something powerful about being immersed in it but but improv is interesting yeah please no yeah 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 i um well so okay so i thought about a play for example those are things that you you need all you need all the tools 
you can <clears throat> a, 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 the perfect play doesn't miss a single line or cue or light or any other turn around that day. But like, so on one hand, for you and your creative, what you get out of it, though that is what feeds you the most. You get the most out of those because I'm picturing like uh, my team does a mono scene, and so I feel like that's something I've gotten to, to see more. I'm not, I'm not like, oh, this scene will be over in a minute. It's like, no, I have to kind of get lost in this space because. I'm going to be here for 20 minutes, and i got to remember everything that's been said. So in my mind, I feel like I, I, I know what you're talking about, and it's it's such a good thing to strive for. But on the other hand, that's that's where the, like you said, there has to be some structure. There has to be some product. And oftentimes, you're putting on a show. So that's where the product comes in. And it feels like that's like the cutoff line. Like That's 85% of it. But that last 15 is that immersion where you do lose yourself, and you just react and feel and probably produce some great things. Maybe I'm wrong. Say, saying saying this cutoff things like eighty five fifteen is interesting. Well that was I thought that was a safe number. I could have got ninety ten, but I was like eighty five fifteen. But like yeah, so last, the last fifteen is like maybe yeah, maybe the cutoff's different, but this there's a small percentage I feel like you have to be aware and you have to do good shows. Like number rule number one I think is have fun. But rule number two is do good shows. So like In a, in a basement set or a practice or whatever, maybe it's different. And maybe, again, maybe I'm way wrong because I'm not, I'm just two years in. But, like, when I think about that, when you're just having fun for your teammates, which is what I subscribe to, let's, I'm going to try to make you laugh, that's what I want. But I guess the one another idea is like you have to respect that everyone's playing out of these rules and they expect you to be there, and have their back. So <clears throat> I think, in the sense of this is as a as an art or as a as a craft, it makes sense to want to experience that. But my counter thought is, does it for a performance or a piece or mm-hmm. a product? Was it? Is it fair that for this show I go way inside and I have probably on average ten to twenty minute conversations about the things that only the two, us two care about? Uh, Sam, that, the last episode that was released, we talked about Fall Out Boy for a very long time. Our favorite bands, so no one cares about that. Tom's episode, we talk about shit that no one cares about. So, Joe, we got inside. We were talking about uh, the all non beard team. <laughs> Um, and then I realized you don't have a beard. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, at what point does it do a disservice to what you're doing? The immersion. It may serve you, but it just it serves a, it serves as a disservice to those taking it in. Question mark. Yeah, because it's it doesn't stick to something that people can kind of rely on and expect and and come for um it doesn't it's not clear what it's what it is or why it's valuable <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um 
oh, tying back to that original idea. It's not, it's not hitting any bells. Or it's hitting one bell here and one bell here and then another bell over here. And mm-hmm. then if you want to get this bell hit, you got to go, wait, what? I like this part of it, but uh-huh. I don't really like that part of it. So it's like, is the goal, for example, with improv to hit as many bells as possible? I think... <laughs> I think the goal should be not to hit as many bells as possible, but to hit the most resonant bells. Mm. Interesting turn of analogy. It's just a metaphor. I gotta mix that. I think a metaphor. That's why, that's why it's I, basically the same concept. Think, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the same idea. Yes, I. Um, okay, but then that that this that raises the whole. We just raised the whole conversation of responsibility and creativity. It's it starts to lose. Because you compare painting to improv. Like, okay, uh, I have a, my 40-hour-a-week job, and when I'm at home, I like to paint. And when I find myself in times of being fully immersed in my, in my work, and I produce things that no one ever sees or buys, but I get the fulfillment... That sounds like the 100 of what you were talking about, right? Okay. You're ringing, you're absolutely ringing the most resonant bell. They're all, they're the only thing is there is one bell to ring and it's yours, kind of thing. So then the responsibility becomes, okay, I don't have that same job, I want to be a painter. I take, maybe I take commissions, maybe I try to put things out, maybe I make some choices that I think will sell better. Okay, then it's it's less about the creativity and more about the product and the responsibility that you have now assigned yourself. Okay, I want to be on a team. I have to be able to put on a good show. Um, to put on a good show, I might not be able to do all the references I want to do. I might not be able to use every idea. I might have to play by the rules and not allow myself to get completely lost in this scene. Okay. But... I want to go back at you a little bit. Please. <laughs> There's something interesting about improv. Because it's vital in a powerful way. It happens in the moment. And you know it's improv because you can see that it's happening in the moment. And watching someone in the moment engaged with the reality in front of them in a creative way that does connect to what we already have learned and does call back but it's like a vibrant mind the vibrant mind of improv mm-hmm. is powerful and compelling and I guess that maybe the, maybe you're right though because maybe the vibrant mind of improv is a structured mind 
<laughs> because you're like calling things back, you're recollecting things, you're you're adding things on, you're contributing, you're building, you're listening, there you're referencing. Well, tell me about the mechanics because I don't really know of improv. Yeah, or what do you think are the mechanics? Because I don't know any mechanics. Yeah, you yes, do. yes, and editing. Oh, okay, yeah, your format. Things like that. You have to, you have to pay attention. I mean, again, I'm in a mono scene. I have to understand the what I'm doing with my 20, 20, 20 to twenty two minutes. Um, Barbara in a montage, right? You had a really cool um, duologues, but you did it sitting down. I performed with Barb once. Yeah. Um, so you have to know. How the first scene's going to go. You're yes. all going to be sitting in chairs, okay. and then you're sleeping. So, yeah, the structure allows you to kind of build. You have your... It supports the freedom. <laughs> okay, but so then I will, I, will, I will give you one with this idea. Um, you've heard of Pyjar Plus One, right? Yes. Well talked about on this show. My first show um, that I ever was in. Love that show. So the person coming on stage with them, yeah, they're thinking whatever. But picture Pajor. Picture his mindset. What is David thinking about? Yeah, he's got 20, probably depending on the show, 20 to 30 minutes to fill with this person on stage. So he obviously is thinking about all these mechanics that he can play into and all these things that he can do. But, but also, isn't that a situation where you could easily say that he could totally just get lost in the characters and jumping between whatever he jumps to. And, and by that definition, really making this plus one look good. Well, what do you think he did? What was his percentage? Was it 1585? Was it... See, that's what I don't know. I only can speak to the way I... In your, your impression... My, in my impression, when he was with me, yeah, I think there were times where he was at 100. Because I don't think it's like, a, oh, I was 85 the whole time. I think it's just like, how focused am I on this scene, on this scene? How focused am I on my character? And there were times where I could feel, and again, this is just my perception. I felt like I could feel him just sub- subjecting and just completely not recognizing. I don't even remember how many people were in the audience. I was not looking at the audience. I was as, I, that was probably the most present I've ever been aside from a hot prop set. <laughs> so, so, be, so just just the demo on that real quick is, if you eat hot foods, you really feel very present in the moment because yeah, of the heat. Because it's like um, someone's ringing a fucking bell in my mouth, and it's just like that's where I am right now. I'm here. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I was at a, a birthday party for a new friend of mine, a friend of Anthony's, Kwame. He makes his own hot sauce. And um, him. that's how, like, Anthony's a big fan of hot sauce, and so is he. So that's, like, what bomb, what, what melts them together. <laughs> um, so we were over at his house celebrating his birthday, and he had a whole spread of sauces. He was making, uh, like, wings, and we were enjoying them. I enjoyed all of them, except for one. And that one for the 15 minutes after, while it was just ravaging my, like, <laughs> mouth, uh, I was not focused on the party. I was not focused on anything else, but just, like, this sucks. How do I get this to stop? 
So maybe the person on stage, the plus one, was also feeling very present because they're like, how do I get this to stop? Because they're probably panicking. If it's like a, a lay person who thought it would be fun and gets up there, it's like, I don't understand. I feel so lost. If they can't find the fun, maybe they're feeling the most present. Maybe they're at 100. Yeah, that's right. If you're at 100, you're, maybe 100 is like generally a state of madness or panic. <laughs> so maybe we're aiming for 95. <laughs> 100 is just like, oh shit, I'm going to die if I don't focus right now. I mean, that's got to be what it feels like being on stage. For the, for, I can't I can't go back, but like, I imagine someone's got to feel that way. If I don't focus right now, I'm going to die right here on stage. You know, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've gotten this. I mean, every, I've heard this before, like, oh, you're so brave to go on stage. But it's like, no, I love doing that. I crave this. Like, you, if you were to do it, you would consider yourself brave for doing that. Yeah. Just a separate thought. No, yeah, it's satisfying. Oh, absolutely. No, it's something I absolutely am all about. Um, but to, to, to bring back or wrap up the Pizer thought and then get back to the original thought. I, I, I associate it with him because I like to think of this idea of a one-person show. And, like, obviously you're, you're playing to an audience. But imagine that you built a format that lets you exist in that space you're mentioning. That lets you just get lost in whatever character you're in, whatever thought you have. And there's no one to play with, so you don't have to listen. You have to worry about mechanics because you set up a format where you don't have to. You will stop performing when you can't see anymore because the lights are out. So imagine you're doing a 20-minute set, set where um, you just start doing characters. And you, Limbo Land, for example. Did you see Limbo Land? No. Uh, it was the second best. It was uh, TJ Mannix. Um, wow, one of my favorite shows. It was a musical and he was playing actually I didn't mention this on Joe's show because we do like a second fast wrap up show every year two years in a row one's really late but um he's playing with a pianist he had never played before before it was the dude who did that does a radio hour he, he he did music for this dude and so what he would do is he would do a whole musical 20 to 20 something minutes he would play every character and he would play multiple characters and he had a full story and a good story and he was funny and he was singing and he was a good singer and he was he looked. He looked like he was like having fun. Like he was moving between characters with just like that little smile on his face. Just like, <laughs> like he, like he was like, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> Switch it from Pajero to TJ Manis, who I would um, wouldn't remove. I would put them at the same table of like that's how I view the way they play. But to use this, this specific example where I had specific thoughts, yeah, watching him move around, like, yeah, he looked a little lost in it. He was, he was, he had a nine in the tenth place. I feel like that is where I take improv and, and allow someone to achieve not losing the responsibility, but gaining the position you posed. Yeah. I feel like there's something about habit too that relates to this where it's like if you're learning to walk it's very hard to um, 
hold your head up evenly, you know, while you're doing or, it, you're or like, oh, to, uh, to to kind of yeah, to to raise your head to the sky, you know, to to stand tall, to stand proud. If you're learning to walk, you can't walk the way that you ultimately want to walk, you know, and you have to get the basics to build what you want on top of it. Put your ten thousand hours in, kind of thing, to bring it back to that other idea. Yeah. Cool. But it's interesting because the choice of what to build on, what habit, what thing to focus on, what to practice becomes really important and it's hard to discern. And maybe you just can't ever know. But if you're trying to build a certain thing or trying to and you develop a certain really good skill that's going to be a lot better than developing a skill which just really isn't very essential or important or relevant <laughs> right or I, see you want a caveat you want to say it's about what is important to the individual am I right because that, that was where my head went I think ultimately, yeah. What, but again, in the sense of what you're trying to do with it, why you're doing it. Yes, and in the society we all subscribe to, it does. Uh, hobbies or whatever are more value. Do have more value, and we'll do them when they yield better results because we like them more. Playing music versus um, becoming a competitive arm wrestler. One of the things I've always been fascinated with is communities and how they shape themselves out. So I'm fascinated with the fascinated with the idea of smaller communities, like the arm wrestling community. Mm-hmm. There's a community for that. You never, you never think about it. There's a community, and then there's probably at least ten sub-communities. Yeah. For every major community, which is probably attached to the major community. So the idea of... Then again, to compare that to music, the communities are exponentially outnumbering in terms of music as a general topic. Very broad. So, yeah, I think that... It's really easy. It's really easy to want to put the caveat on it and say, like, "Well, if it means something to you, then it means something." And I agree with that. But again, we're all operating on the we subscribe to that, so we have to assign the values as they have been assigned. But then again, caveat again, it all comes, it all comes back to the individual of like, "Well, this is how I assign these values." Yeah. What do you What do you value in it? What are you doing it for? What really matters about it to you? And I what feel do you like care about? Contrary to, probably, probably contrary to what I just said, I feel like that is... I mean... I don't really think about improv as a hobby because I love it and I just do it. So I never have to, I never evaluate it. I'm never like, gosh, oh, I keep doing this. It's always just like, this is something I love doing and I'm getting a lot out of it. A lot of... Pretty much all my friends do it. So, like, 
yeah, this is this is great. Okay, let's let's flip it. Let's say that I let's say either I didn't like anybody I did improv with, or oh man, I just didn't like doing improv anymore. Yeah, I would probably not value it as much and wouldn't do it. And would eventually fade away. It's why certain projects that like people start, they just fade away. It's like I don't really have that much interest. I, once once I started trying to do it, I realized it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I was thinking. I don't want to do it as much. Whereas I don't feel that way with like improv. To, to bring it back to the example. Yeah, you found something that when you're doing it, when you're working on it, you you have time for it. You have energy for it. You feel like it's something that you're excited about you're growing in you're I was at practice tonight and when I wasn't in the exercise scenes I was like I could feel myself getting anxious I'm like I really would love to be up there doing more because I really like my scene and I want to do it again and I recognize I have to wait and let everyone else do it but I really want to go I want to go do it what do you think you want to go up there for though because I think I was having fun I think I was I felt like I was doing really well I felt like I we were covering object work, and that's something I think that I have been working on a lot lately. And so I think that it fits right into this skill set I'm already trying to hone, and I already feel pretty confident about. I think I do. I think I do a good job of it. I'm gonna go ahead and toot my own horn. I feel like that's safe to do. But like, so I was like, oh, I'm loving this. I get to do that, and on top of it, I feel like I bring the other tools. I'm not. I'm not focusing on because exercise was like really forcing the idea. Of like, well, let's practice doing that. So in my mind, it's like, this is almost, this is more habitual. It's something I've been already kind of focusing on. So I won't forget to be a motive or find a relationship. I'll just do all those things naturally, and it will be a good scene. And they were. I, found, I never had good scenes. But just, like, for me, it was like, I feel good about this. I want to go do this. It feels good. You're succeeding. You're winning. You're having fun. You're, everything's just going right. When you're doing those scenes. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> I can imagine like in a comedy, it's like everybody's like applauding and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and dying, everyone's dying laughing and, and, and the, afterwards the coach is like just giving yeah. you yeah. the real like mm-hmm. nice work. Nice work. Not far off from reality. That's you're getting an affirmation. <laughs> so I, um, you know who Rodney Mullen is, the person you mentioned earlier. No, I never mentioned him before in this conversation. Who is the interviewer or whatever? Similar name. Oh, um, yeah, Caro Robert Caro. Robert Caro. And who's the other guy? Um, I just forgot his Robert name. Mullen. Ro- Rodney Mullen. Okay, so that, I wasn't too far off. Yeah, Robert Caro, Rodney six, Mullen. Six so Rodney last, Mullen is a incredible, innovative skateboarder who's done things that no one's ever done before, uh, invented tricks that no one had ever seen before. I love it already. And he was talking about... Somebody who probably came up through his community. Came up through his community and had its own distinctive style, but really, like... Put the work in and did these things. Yeah. Yeah. He said, as I interpreted, that what really motivated people 
skateboarders, serious skateboarders, was the recognition of their community, of their peers, Mm -hmm. of those who also recognize and value what what, this is. They know what good skateboarding is, and they associate me with good skateboarding. Yeah, amazing the amazing people. There's a great story (laughs) about... There's stories about Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, athlete, he was in baseball, he played football. Raiders Um, and Royals. Yeah, and... But he... (laughs) There's stories of him doing things that when, when he got on the field... Other athletes who are incredible athletes, other professional athletes, watch to see what he's going to do. Yeah, I've heard the, there's a famous clip of Randy Moss like, "That's Brett Favre out there. I gotta go. I gotta get up and see this." It's like negative six degrees. He's like, "I gotta get up from the heat and go watch Brett Favre throw football." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing the amazing, uh, amazing the amazing, amazing the amazing, amazing the amazing. You got your audience tonight at Improv. You got. For me, I'm a big Jerry Seinfeld fan. Mm-hmm. You, had, you got uh, Dave Chappelle's there. He's fucking laughing he like crazy. Laughing his ass off. <laughs> he's like, damn. He's just shaking. He's nodding, laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who else is in? Who else is in the audience? For me, Barack Obama's there. Oh, absolutely. He's just like giving a good hearty chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> The Buddha's there as well. Pete Holmes. <laughs> the Buddha. <laughs> yeah, he's just laughing in an improv show. Why not? <laughs> I like how I went Buddha and then Pete Holmes. I couldn't think of anyone for a hot second. I'd like to, I, I would I would be tickled at the idea of making Pete Holmes laugh. Probably yeah. the Buddha too, but <laughs> I, I feel like the Buddha might laugh even if you weren't funny. You think so? I think Pete Holmes would laugh if I wasn't funny too. So let's get them in the audience for sure. We need that. That's such a, that's such a fun concept because it's like, and you you've experienced this, and this gets inside again. But like, on a riot night, the left half of the audience is mostly strangers, and the right half is mostly improvisers. Mm. And there are certain I swear I can't think of this specific example. There was a move that was made. And you heard the right side of the room laugh. Only the right side. But also, okay, so to bring that effect in, it's like, yo, riot night, like, you know who's in the audience, you know it's, like, a bunch of your friends, it's a good night, like, you absolutely want the recognition from that group. Because, one, they're your friends, but two, they are improvisers. A lot of them are. A lot of them know exactly what's happening, they are looking for the moves, and when you hit it, that's when you get the laugh. You get the yes. Yes. I've gotten laughs before just by doing something correctly that wasn't necessarily funny, but it was like, you did the correct thing. You did you did the improv thing right, and I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Well, I would say it's... Uh, okay. D- I would tell the story it. in a slightly different way. Oh, please. So the way I tell that story, the way I think of that story when I'm watching is you see that the improviser is put in a place of tension. A cha- they're challenged in a certain way or they're kind of confronted with something. There's a story of the improviser as an improviser. And then their response, you see that they've overcome or 
maneuver properly or said yes even when it's so hard to say yes mm-hmm. um and the drama of that story is itself compelling because you see what is a real story and a real challenge face you know i think there i think a lot of laughs come from the improviser as a person being compelled by the form and the commitment the yes to do things that seem very unlikely or hard or strange or funny or or break taboos or whatever so what about that affects the overall product for you as as uh... I'm not a big fan of that I think it degrades the art knowing the behind the scenes well, or, or or the the conflict between the artists in this sense, the performers. Well, I would say just like the most compelling thing for me is going to be. I guess there is a tension. I, maybe not. I, maybe I don't know the answer. But I mean, this is my maybe my, my initial answer. My initial answer was I want to get wrapped up in what's happening on stage as an audience member and be surprised and delighted. Yeah. Um, and um, when you know what's coming or you know what moves coming, you're like, I'm not lost in this. I'm basically in the wings right now. It takes you out. It takes you out of enjoying the performance and puts you into the, this is now something I'm not enjoying. Well, there's that, and there's also just, I would say differently. I would say... Mm-hmm. I was trying to find how you would say it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I would say we're all trying to get lost in this engagement and what's happening on stage, what's what's being undergone, what's being done, what's, what's happening right before us. And it, insider kind of jokes... Um, are not ones that everyone can get but there's improv that everyone can get that's really good because it dramatizes attention you know it dramatizes something in a way that everyone can understand and get involved with you know um it rings the most resonant bells. Yeah, it's the simplest. It's the simplest. You're playing. You're playing something. You're, there's two people on stage. They're playing something. It's a play. You know. It's like a. They're playing with each other, and then they get kind of discover all these funny things together. I don't know. I don't know how you watch it as an as an audience member. I haven't seen it before, but... That's what I was going to say. I, uh, the only improv I ever saw was short form, so it was more just like, that's silly. Look at the silliness. And now it's like, I can't, I can't watch it any other way. Yeah, okay. So I guess for me, I guess I have a belief that what's compelling about it is listening and responding. 
in a way that is compelling and true. That's hard to achieve, even as a performer. Which is where it crosses into this idea that you were bringing up of being able to be lost in it and just respond and let it be true. Yeah, but now thinking back, I'll say, yeah, I guess, but being lost in it means you're not lost, you're responsible in the sense that you're responsible and responsive to the person and people who you're on stage with. You're taking what they're saying, you're endowing it, you're running it through the filter of tools that you might need to, whether that's your character or mechanics again. Yeah. But then again, like you said, bringing it into habit, bringing it back to what I said about, like, have I biked for 10,000 hours? Um, I did the math, like, an improviser has been improvising two hours a day for 15 years. Have they... Across the 10,000? Oh, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I was 27 when I turned 10,000 days. Every day. Hour a day. 15 years, two hours a day. You're doing it two hours every day for 15 years. But to be fair, that whole 10,000 hours shit is bullshit. I know. Just but it's a made-up bullshit number. It's, it's 100% made-up. But So that's the idea of, like, the but experience it is, and the yeah. habit and being able to just be in that. After a while, you don't think, like, oh, I'm going to tag out. You're just like, tag out. I wanna, I want, I'm now lost in that reality, and I need to get to that reality so that they can get to that reality, and I can start responding. Yeah. Experience. Feel like, I mean, of course, someone's been painting forever is going to have better paintings. But you know, that's kind of what we're talking about. Is like, but what about okay? Someone who's been painting forever is going to have better paintings. Oh, caveats on caveats. It's all subjective. Who's viewing it? Who cares? No, that's not the argument. Oh well, that was that's a very. I mean, that's but that's a very good one of just like yeah, it all doesn't matter. I feel like I could respond, but go with yours. Okay. A lot of musicians and I think other artists too painters I don't know but have a period of their work that's really vital and live and it's closer to when they're first kind of forging their sound or their attitude or their style or they're exploring a certain thing and it's in that exploration that they're most compelling to you. Yep. I guess yeah, it has to be or ideally you're growing in your work. You're growing into into yourself and your work and your kind of your work as an expression of that. 
and some people express their emotion in a more structured environment where it's like I want to express how I'm feeling through doing a herald correctly whereas a painter can go any of the directions we covered before it's like I'm doing this all for me or I'm doing this all for profit or I'm doing it for somebody else like they can kind of with all these things you can kind of determine who the audience is and then get the most out of it I mean people can paint and just paint for themselves and not give a shit but it's the person who has more experience who's going to be able to do the other end of it and make something that's good make something that's actually <clears throat> good Yeah, I guess ultimately, for you, and I, I'm guessing, I think it's going to be true, you want to make improv that's actually good. Yeah. Definitely. So what I do to achieve that is every time I have a, like, do a thing I don't want everyone to do again... I'll write it on a sticky note and then I'll put it in my phone case and I'll go over them before a show. Does it help you to focus on what you don't not supposed to do? Depends on what it is. For example, one of them that I've been big on is um, who are we to each other? Very simple. Yeah. Establish that up top and there's so much more. How do we feel about each other? Well, if I know who we are, I know how I feel like. If I know how I feel about you, I know how to do everything else. And I don't know if those are on there now, but like those have definitely been on there before. I keep, I keep like, you know. Yeah, you're giving yourself <laughs> phrases, ideas, reminders that are reminders that are going <clears> to <throat> influence in subtle or not so subtle ways. Yeah. Your improv, your kind of heightened engaged state mm-hmm. but it's just as simple as like I could just write down like when I'm playing a bar chord on a guitar it's like I need to remember to use my finger hold this finger correctly so that I get the full I get that the high E string because otherwise it just like plunks doesn't resonate doesn't ring um for me it's not only how do I make how do I make the product better? But how do I get more out of it? And I get more out of it when I hear that string ring. Do you think the string ring in comedy is laughter? Is that the... What's the... What's the... Yeah, you've talked to me... You've talked to me a little bit about you're amazing in improv. You're the transcendent, the things for you that are, like, timeless or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What amazes me? Is it the amazing that ultimately is what it's all about? Or not necessarily? It's funny to have, like, an idea of what it's all about because it, I mean it's also really easy to look at it like you're only as good as your last show or your next show um, one of the things I'm very 
I love talking about are scenes or sets that I can still remember. The Whisper set, the Cornfield set, the first date set. I have more, but like, <clears throat> I don't think the goal for me is to like have a set that people are like, you have this set. But I think it's really, really cool to go up on a stage and say, hey y'all, I'm going to be real good at this for 20 minutes, and when I'm done, y'all are going to clap when I leave, and then do it. That's something really cool to get to do. That's a that's a thing that people want to do. People dream of being in bands. People dream of doing this, and it's cool that I found something that I could put the work into, and get return on it. Feel good. Have fun. Meet people. Have these experiences. Like, I'm... You know, fucking going out of Baltimore and I'm gonna go be a do improv in Baltimore. Like I would never when would I ever go to Baltimore and do a thing in Baltimore? Literally never. So like What's uh what's Baltimore? Baltimore Improv Festival. Oh really? Yeah. When is it? Uh, August third. This is our show. Oh cool. Who's performing? Dad's Cologne. Oh nice. And we're also going up with uh, Dollar Store Bullshit and Just Jackie. Oh, yeah, awesome. We all got in, so... It's going to be a fun, fun weekend. But I think... I think the... The reason you do it is for the experience. It's not just like, oh, I'm experiencing this, I get to enjoy this. But it's like, I have this experience now. I mean... I can't remember all my sets. I definitely can't remember all my scenes. But I feel like I have gained so much. It's all culminated in where I am now. All these notes are like, if I had them all, let's just say, if I had every single phrase I've told myself, you could see my journey. You could see me gain experience. You could see my experience. I mean, this is probably just another, like, again, like, I'm, I'm, this is basically This a is your mark. step ladder. Yeah. This is the step, this is the current ladder I'm on. I use, I use a ladder, I get to a new plane, I can't bring that ladder with me, I gotta go find a new ladder. <laughs> and I, I find a new ladder by trying to climb this wall, and eventually it's like, fuck, I can't do this, I need a ladder. Where are you getting, where are you getting to with the ladder? Where are you going to get to once all these ladders get you where you go? It's the journey. It's the journey. It's the journey. It's the climbing. That's the fun. I'm I'm big on that. I, uh, I'm probably on record. I've definitely talked to people about the idea of it's a journey. This is all a journey. It's a, it's a path. You're on a different journey. You're on your own path. This is your version. This is your way. I can, come, I can tell you all about mine, and maybe there are some parallels. I've definitely had parallels with people before, but like... I mean, that's how you, that's, oftentimes you shape your own journey based on those around you. They went this way, so I'm, I'm going to go check that out. And either you find success that way or you find your own thing on that way. But, like, I'm big on journeys. Not the store. I like that thought, that idea. It's interesting. Which one? Well, I guess for me what I end up taking from it or how I end up translating it is just being big on journeys is a journey is an experience where you don't know exactly what's going to happen 
you don't know exactly where you'll end up. There's an element of, there's a structure to it, but it's an exploration, a play, playing, um, exploring possibilities. Um, this comes back to the idea of growth for me, but growing connects with exploring possibilities and finding in those possibilities more possibilities mm -hmm. and building on those possibilities and it's kind of like the old uh, Bueller thing of like you have to like look stop and smell the roses kind of thing but if you're if we're using this journey analogy which I have translated into this path analogy which take what you said of just being open to these different avenues of like if you are constantly walking and you take time to hey nice rugs oh I have nice rugs or I'm doing this right or I this is where I am in my life I can observe and say like well this is what I'm enjoying so I should keep doing this or I'm not enjoying this so I should do this or oh that's an option I should I should go that the idea of if it's a journey the fun part is the journey that's the fun is is looking at all these options, experiencing them, and picking the one that gives you the best experience or makes you experience the best. Am I reading that right? Yeah. It sounds very sound idea. <laughs> it's a very solid idea. <laughs> I've, I've always felt like it is, but I, I've, I've definitely encountered resistance to the idea of a journey where... Which I'm okay with. I feel like for me it's more of a this is how I make sense of all this shit kind of thing. This this is where it this is where I base my decisions off of. This, the idea of like this is part of the journey so I'm going to accept that and, and subscribe to that idea. Yeah. What's part of the journey? You know, which things are part of the journey and which things are not part of the journey? Mm -hmm. Well, is that an actual question? Oh, yeah. I mean, we can think about this in terms of improv, too. Sure. Um, which things end up on your sticky note list? You know, which things end up... I guess you try a lot of them, and a lot of them kind of fall away, and some of them stick. I guess this is sticky note. It's a good metaphor. Not everything sticks. You just try a bunch of things. and mm -hmm. I definitely abandoned some like little mantras. I definitely have abandoned mantras. I used to have like, a running mantra. And then I was just like, yeah, I don't really need this anymore. I don't... This isn't... This is, this is more of a... a I'm, I keep looking back on my path. I'm trying to read that sign that I put up in the area that I was in before. And it's like, no, nah, I need to keep going. For me, these are like little signs. For when I'm here, I put that sticky note up, and I remember it. I'm like, "Oh yeah, how do we feel about each other?" Say it, and then eventually it gets to the point where like that's the thing you either don't need to have a reminder for, or you don't need to remind yourself of. Because either you don't need it or you got it, and you continue on your journey. One thing I get stuck on with improv is just feeling like the basic 
requirement of listening and processing whatever's given to you in your own way and then quickly adding something to that or saying yes or kind of translating that, processing that. Translating was the word I was thinking. That in itself is challenging. Mm-hmm. Like, in a given time frame or at all, you know, maybe you, you don't you don't feel like you are able to process it very much or, I mean, I guess, I don't know. No, because I've had that thought too before where it's like, um, so we start our, we used to start our set with three or four people on stage and you kind of have to start doing something and then quickly fold everything in until you hit this coasting stage where you know who everyone is, you know what the major situation is, and you can find offshoots from there. But, like, being able to translate everything and have everything moving very fast, it's a lot. It's a lot to process. And I think that's kind of the thing, is after a while you start to... The neural pathways in your brain start to, like, give way to different ways of approaching it that make it a smoother process or maybe different ways of receiving it that make it easier to respond and thus translate. Yeah. Finding out quicker paths to those ways. Yeah. That's the hard part. Is a hard part. I think learning is interesting. Well, learning is this experience. But it's discrimination through experience. You know what I mean? It's oh, please. Discrimination. I mean, it's this is this type of thing, or it's this type of thing. If it's this type of thing, I probably got to do this. And it's this type of thing. Oh, is this water here? Mm-hmm. I got to do something else. And maybe it's not conscious, maybe you're not, like, actively thinking it out loud, but you discern or distinguish between one type of thing and another type of thing. And then you can respond in kind or in the appropriate way on the basis of your ability to kind of suss something out, kind of see it, Mm -hmm. kind of get an angle on it. So where does that leave you with it, then? It's day-to-day. Some days I'm just like, I don't really feel like I'm able to listen and respond and make the as I need to, mm-hmm. to, I guess, to do that at a level that seems like I'm establishing a good habit or improving or growing or yeah you know there's a lot of days it's just like it's a little bit of a struggle and it's like and it's kind of it sucks to be bad at something that you respect or to feel like you're bad at something you respect because it's 
you're all the more aware of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a... I guess, uh, scale it down, you have a bad set, you are very aware of it. Compared to when you have a good set, you are probably very aware of it, but I feel like I would be more aware of a bad set than I would a good set. <laughs> it's like a punishing set. Yeah. It's like you felt every moment of that set. It was literal torture. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely remember more of my bad sets than my good sets. <clears throat> I guess that's the, that's the way memory works. If it's really good, it's worth remembering. If it's really bad, it's worth remembering. Speaking of memory, do you remember your uh, first creative moment? That's an interesting question, but I feel like... My answer is no. I don't remember my first creative moment. Because... I think that whatever it was was too fragile a notion for me to have remembered it. What's the first one you do remember? That's a good response. I mean, isn't thought creative itself? <laughs> like, what, what, what do you mean creative moment? Um... <clears throat> A moment where you deviated from not being creative to engage in being creative. And what happens when you're creative? Well, if we're honoring the theme of this show and everything else we said, there's a product. Okay. You make something. It could be a a drawing. It could be a, a play in front of your... Your family, I get a lot of that. Drawing, yes, maybe, but I think it's probably a song. Oh, there we go. I like this. Like some little kind of ditty something. Yeah. You just made up a little song and... Yeah, I used to make up little songs. I believe that. Um, but I don't remember... The first one I made up. It would be impressive if you did. But it, but I think it's a good question if you frame it. Or for me, it's interesting if you frame it as that thing you made and that thing that you... First thing you're proud of, basically. The first thing you're proud of, yeah. Well, it's also... Isn't it something that is recognized at some level by other people? We come right back to the idea of what, what is it... What's more important, the fulfillment of the artist or the value of the product well it's interesting because maybe you don't really know what you're like kind of when you're young you know you you're first impressed with 
I, I'm, I mean, I'm showing a different band. I'm a di- totally different person when I'm when I'm 13. But yeah. The first thing I can remember being proud of, I made a comment. I made a comic book series. Oh, really? No one ever. I never said it to anyone. I think my, my parents maybe, but they didn't get it or care. But I remember being so proud of it, and no one ever saw it, so no one ever got to like validate it. But for me, I'm still like, I did that. I felt good about it. It was exactly what I wanted. Fulfillment of the artist. First thing I made that someone else liked was an art project that drew two sharks circling each other. It's something I wasn't proud of, but I got like a hundred on it. And I got like a little like note like red pen. I was like, good job or something like that. And I was just like, this feels good because I normally don't get that great in art class. <laughs> so to get that in that moment, like those, those, those are my first thoughts of like one, yeah, my first fulfilling me, but then playing something else. <laughs> I feel like when I was a kid, I probably just thought a lot of the things that I was making were amazing. I was mm-hmm. like, this is amazing. Take a picture before I forget. <laughs> the social media. Um, what were you saying? I think I was captivated and engaged with the stories in my head and the things that I was coming up with and I, my ideas and thoughts and experiences. <laughs> And thought that they were all amazing. Like, every kid is like, oh, my God, you won't believe what happened to me. You know? And I feel like... I just thought that those things were... I was making were, like, amazing and good. And then when other people agreed, I was like, oh, okay, good. (laughs) And when other people didn't, I was like, wait, what? What? Mm-hmm. I was expecting this is amazing I was expecting people to be amazed I have a story when I was in fourth grade Mr. Gronquist who looked who had a big soup strainer mustache and looked like a local news anchor in his corduroy jacket <laughs> made us give presentations to the class we couldn't write everything down we had to use notes bullet points and I chose, I was the first one who was giving the assignment, and I chose to do it on rats. And I used the Encyclopedia Britannica in my house to get a bunch of cool facts, which I put down bullet point after bullet point. Put at the top, rats, big capital letters, go to school, <laughs> present. And I'm expecting that this is going to kill <laughs> I'm saying, going through the different bullet points, I start with the top one, you know, I say it and I, like, I'm reading it and it no longer seems good and people aren't responding the way I'm expecting to and where was all the th- things that I thought were going to be so amazing here? And I get so anxious and worked up that I start to cry in front of everybody. And... <laughs> I eventually, you know, kind of jumped down to the end. And my final line, which was going to be my, like, badass humdinger, like, just kick-ass kind of rebel comment, was, 
sometimes rats bite through electrical cords, electrocute themselves, and die. (laughs) And, yeah, and I was... I really thought that it was going to be go amazingly well and I was going to be charming and witty and interesting and compelling and it just didn't work out that way at all. Right. <laughs> oh my god. I was so with you on every step of that. I, I thought it was I was like this is going to be compelling this will be great. So what ended up happening? Did the teacher like it? I don't remember. I just remember that I cried. And, you know, it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And a dismal failure. <laughs> and we just kept having to do presentations, and eventually I got past it somehow. Just forgot probably stopped thinking about it. People stopped bringing it up. He got far enough away out of his class. Yeah, and I was able to get through the presentation without breaking down. Damn, that's interesting. Because at first it was just a silly story about how you thought this would be a funny story. But when you really think about it, that could have stopped you from ever, like, public speaking again or sharing a thought you thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah, you share things that you think are cool, and other people are like, what? That's the, like, universal experience of creativity. Uh, you, you're you like, oh, my God, I got this awesome idea. It's incredible. You tell someone, and they're like, wait, what? And you're like, wait, I don't get it. And you're like, what do you mean you don't get it? I just, it doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. No, this is this and this. And they're just like, wait, what? But why would anyone... Who would, who would, who would want that? But why is that related to this? And you're like... Well, I, I'm just trying to think. I I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, that's what, that's a big part of like anxieties because it's like you don't know how someone will respond. You don't know how someone will react, especially when you're being vulnerable. I mean, when you're vulnerable, like you were reading about rats. I guess I was vulnerable. I feel like you were. If, if you had invested, you thought this is going to be good. You had already planned it out. Like, I, the people are going to like me. Yeah, I'm going to be charming. I'm going to be this. I'm going to kill. Yeah. And to not—that's that's definitely vulnerable. That's definitely putting yourself out there and basically getting rejected. And that is a big thing. Rejection. Rejection in any form. I feel like sets you on a path you did not expect to be on and now you're just on this path you get pushed from your path into this new one and now you gotta you gotta resettle and hope you wanna be here cause you got rejected I mean what's the opposite of rejection acceptance but like you give in the same way that you have the most extreme rejection like, what would the most extreme acceptance be? You know, like, what's the opposite of just, like, dead-on, full-out fucking like you rejection? Said, oh, the opposite would be that presentation goes better than you thought it would. You get a standing ovation and everyone laughs, gasps, or how reacts appropriately to every bullet point you have. And the teacher says, 
There's no point in continuing. We've heard the best one. That's the opposite. Full acceptance. The idea that you have being amazing is accepted. Yes, that was amazing. Yes, that was the best thing I've ever seen. As opposed to the reality. The eventual reality. Yeah, that was amazing. That was the best thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is an acceptance as well of you're good at this, you should do this, mm-hmm. um, keep doing this. Well, what's crazy is the the good, the opposite of that would just be, I feel like not even questioning, like, you don't need me to tell you to keep doing this, you know you're the best at this. You know that you keep doing this. Like, I want you to tell you all about my experience because of how important it is to me. Because we love to tell, we both have in this conversation, but we, everyone does... You share what's important to you. You share the stories that you remember and the details that you have taken the time to tell and retell and retell and retell and retain because of how important it is. So I think the most accepting accepting thing someone can do is just want to tell you all about the amazing experience that you gave them and validate you in that way. Validate the performance of the product. Just to push it one small step further. No, I like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, someone comes up to you and they're just like, Son, never in my life have I experienced comedy like that. You spoke my soul. And I laughed harder than I've ever laughed before. I can never thank you enough for what you've done. But know this, that I stand with you always, from now till forever. Yeah, that's the best. (laughs) That's as good as it gets right there. Good thing Obama came to the show. (laughs) How do you feel? How long do you think we've been going? Um, I feel good. I feel like we've been going. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more things that we like to wrap up the show. Okay. What's your go-to breakfast? Right now it's um, Kroger multigrain toast with garlic that's scraped on there, like fresh garlic, olive oil, and lemon. That's a whole process. It sounds good, though. It's pretty good. You chop up the garlic? No, you just kind of rub it across the surface of the rough surface of the toast. Really? And it kind of, some comes off, not a ton, but a little bit scrapes off. Enough to get a little garlic flavor. (laughs) Sure. Um, What about you? uh, Coffee or maybe a protein bar. I'm, uh, see, the one comment I had on yours was not even the combination it was that sounds like a lot of work my morning routine is is just so that I have just enough time to do the things I want to do and breakfast is not included um so I usually maybe eat at work but if I have coffee I'm usually fine if I didn't have coffee I'd have to eat something yeah also like how you said right now because it's always evolving and I get that that's one of my favorite sometimes I get that and that's my favorite answer right now I'm into this um well, 
So when I first did this show, I did it out of my bedroom at that Cleveland house. Um, episode three, I moved into the bedroom. Episode two was in Charlotte at Tom's house. I was the second guest on my own show. Like, like, yeah. Um, so what I used to do, because again, that was my room, uh, common space with my roommates. I had shit all over my walls, more so, a little less organized. But I always like to ask people what the weirdest thing in my room was. And uh, if there's a story behind it, I'll tell it. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny, because we were talking about this very subject mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. I'm big on it. Um, and so this is this is now season five of my podcast. So uh, when I had Joe on, who was the first episode of season five, I was like, how would you end the show? So I want to hear your... Uh, how you would end the show, whatever it is. Um, and then... I've discovered a new way to end the show, but I still want to do those two things because I have enough space. To, I have enough things on these walls to do weird things on my in my room because I used to be in a studio where there's nothing on the wall. And then I want to hear what you have to say, and then I'll give you the last thing. Okay, so what's the order now? Am I looking at things? Yeah, weirdest thing. Call that out. Sometimes people will uh, sit down and just look from where they can see. Sometimes people get up and they really give it a good look, and I'm very appreciative. Okay, I want to know the story of this. Oh, I just bought those. I know. So, he picked up uh, wrapped curtains... Um, so you see the, the one set of curtains that are up? Yeah. My mom gave me those. Yeah. And, and then you have another in a bag that looks like almost the same one. Well, I love that color. And I want to get a second one for this window because now I have a second window. But I don't know where she got them. So you can't get the right color. I, and there's no tack. <laughs> so you're trying to, you're buying similar curtains, similar colors, and you realize it doesn't match. So I bought those, took them out of the box. I haven't, um, I haven't checked yet, but my thought is, I'm not necessarily the most proud of this, but this is true. Um, if I like the color, I put them both up and return the one set. I just return my mom's old curtains. Yeah. <laughs> Get half my money back, pay for one set of curtains, and then have a, a set I like. Or, shit, I'll put them in a different room. I got a bathroom, or maybe I do the whole process again for the bedroom, put red up. Why red? Just color? Well, so somewhere on this shelf are little crates that are, have light gray, similar to the one in the bedroom here, and a dark gray double. Um, my natural tendency is to go for gray and black. So whenever I had the opportunity to add color, I want to. And nice. my mom just gave me those. And I remember hanging them up feeling like, I don't know if this is a good look. And it turns out it was. And so when I put it, when I moved here, I was like, I, li- I like these one, put them up. And they just had color to the room. There's yeah. like, a, there's like a green chair and then yeah, white couch, the carpets, the... I feel like there's also something dramatic about a red curtain. Mm-hmm. 
a, a dark red curtain. A too. dark red curtain. Yeah, because the first the first round of trying to buy a, a curtain that lined up that was bright red. I'm like, this would be bad. This would not. This does yeah. not give me the same feeling. It has a little bit more. It's like a little bit refined. It's yeah. like wine or something. Yeah, it, it makes it look <laughs> put together. And I'm about that. Yeah. So that that's 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 what that's about. That's the goal there. All right, there you go. I'm glad you picked something temporary too, because I often would have to doing like 30 episodes at the first time of like pick something weird. Oftentimes I'd be like, I've already told that story. Can you pick something else? And there were times where I'd be like, by the third time, I'm like, all right, I'll just tell the story again. <laughs> all right. So the next thing is, how would you end the show? If you had a podcast or if you took over this podcast or if you had to choose that this one ended. You don't because there's a third thing. But if you could. I think you got to end it by saying something like. Um, like a slogan? Well, maybe. Or just sort of saying like. Um, for anyone listening, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful day or evening like saying goodbye yeah um just i want to acknowledge anyone who's listening um and yeah and acknowledge each other oh yeah well in in the spirit of that because i want to do it of course thank you for being on the show i uh you're moving soon uh this will come out the day before you move um and it's a bummer, but it's also a good thing for you. And so I was like, I have to have you on before you go because I've wanted to have you on for a very long time. So I'm very glad you came over. We got right into it. This is such a cool, unique episode. It's this is one of the this this experience to me is one of the reasons I love doing podcasts so much. I've never cared as much about the product as much as I do how I feel. This yeah. show for me is about artist satisfaction and this is a perfect example of me getting exactly what I wanted yeah it was a lot of fun it was interesting fun to talk with you so the way I've chosen to end season 5 episodes so it's not lost on me that I put you in that seat and this is the backdrop that you have um I didn't necessarily plan anything specific for that that role, but you do have a view of my favorite piece of art in my home, the one above my TV. Um, so Joe described it in his episode, and then I made Sam describe it in her episode. I'm gonna make Gretchen do it in hers. Um, <laughs> so I want you to, as much as you feel, as much as you feel like you want to, just describe that painting right there. Above the TV, there is a green painting with oranges and blues and grays. And it's a skull, mouth wide open, eyes blank, with green circles radiating around its head from behind as if it's kind of glowing. And it seems to be putting in its mouth some kind of loose, meaty hamburger. (laughs) It looks like a piece of art to me that 
is sort of playful and kind of designed to bring commentary. Okay, I'm going to say that again. It's... I don't see the artist as playing with questions of death, for example, but kind of playing with color and kind of absurdity and sort of things being off-kilter and that sort of drawing my attention to... You know, an action, someone put, kind of putting food in their mouth, but it's a dead person. And yeah. I love that. That was amazing. I'm so here for that. That's why I'm, it's why it's my outro because it's like people describe things differently. You, you started off with it's a green painting, and I'm like, no one ever talked about the green before. It's my favorite part. That was great. Cool. Well, all I gotta do is say goodbye, and we're good. All right. This episode is brought to you by the RVA Podcast Network. Find more information at rvapodcast.org.